This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, oh, it's looking slightly festive, dare I say. It's not quite December, but you know, red jumper, red glasses, looking suave, sophisticated, uh, ever more handsome, Alan Edward Herbert Gray. How the devil are you? Well, I'm absolutely fine, but I was actually trying to cheer up this rather sort of dreary day. It's it's kind of it's been so wet everywhere, and I just seems it just seems as if that wetness is carrying on. And how is it for you in Cambridgeshire? Thought is Maria Sophia Fredrickson looking Lingy. absolutely wonderful. I have to say, and you're cheering up the day as well. And I think that's a kind of crazy combination because from here it looks as if we've got almost shocking Schiaparelli pink stripes on a red jumper. It's Pretty shocking. I picked it especially because you're right. Dingy, dingy, dingy. A little bit yes. of sun just starting to break through Absolutely. on this dull November morning as we record our podcast. We've got something cheery to talk to. Someone cheery to talk to. Uh, well, we have. And this is slightly I'm pleased with us. We've had a couple of weeks off. We've we've got ourselves back in gear after some autumnal lurgies and Last episode, we mentioned a certain national collection holder. Eucomus came up and it turned out that someone we know very well, who has never been on the podcast before, I'm sorry, very remiss of me, uh, is the Eucomus national collection holder. So Richard Clark of Panache Plants, based in Norfolk, which is why I've seen you at so many Norfolk plant fairs. Um, welcome along to Talking Dirty. Before we get stuck into all the plants, do you have any middle names to share? I did, my, my middle name is Joseph, after my... Great, great grandfather. Oh, yeah. so. that is lovely. <laughs> Grandparents marked all round in our middle names, I think, which I'm yeah. it's very both traditional. My, my, both my grandfathers, you see. Um, that was good. See, I should have brought my daughter on because she's got much better middle names. <laughs> so so she, her middle name is Linnea after Linnaeus, I... as in the botanist. Do you know I seriously considered Linnaeus as a name? Um, well, to, to, well, to be honest, if we'd have had another daughter, I would have had it as a first name. <laughs> but hey-ho, there you go. <laughs> it's a great middle name, though. Um, so, Panache Plants, how long have you been going? What's your background? Give us a potted history. Oh, potted history of me. Um, oh, God. I Well, I've been going forever, really, it uh, feels like. Um, so what did I do? I sort of started off as a plant breeder. Um, so I worked for a commercial plant breeder based in Foxley um, and then became a pollen dabber and I've never finished, really. And I, I kind of the, the origins of that is, is why I'm interested in plant collecting, because once you start breeding plants, I mean, it's, it's the, the fascination of, you know, what's contained within those plants. Um, and in order to get to that, you need to start with collections of plants. And, you know, it, it just it, it spirals um, doing that. So, yeah, plant breeding. Uh, was the origin. Then I decided to go into teaching as well. Um, so I'm a qualified geography teacher um, as well. I'm not wearing sandals. I've got no patches on my arms or anything. Um, <laughs> never never taught geography. Ended up uh, working in the college system. So I was teaching horticulture at two, two local colleges. 
Um, and then in the end, I what was I? I was working with Martin Davies. They are Martin was my boss, um, and I was the program area leader for horticulture, floristry, arboriculture, the works. And then my little girl was born, and I decided that um, I didn't want the stress of teaching. Um, and and we went back to to panache really. And Martin um, Davey, former head of horticulture at Eastern and Otley College. So the kind yes. of primary place that you'd go and learn horticulture in uh, Norfolk and Suffolk. Absolutely. Yeah. That was it. So, which was brilliant. It was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I sort of went on paternity leave and then didn't go back in the end. So, but hey, but <laughs> I, yeah, I then went into doing what I do now. I'm, I mean, prior to that, I've always sort of dabbled. Um, Panache had a guise beforehand. Um, so I've, I'm quite a favourite doing all the plant shows and uh, 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 messing around and always been collecting plants. So, yeah. And when you say always, as in always, always from boyhood, were you someone who got into gardening when you were little or Abs did you come to it later? Yeah. No, no, no. Always, always. I mean, I was collecting, you know, as a little boy, I was collecting cacti. Because um, <laughs> that's did. what you did. I mean, you know, my my parents like going to garden centres and I like going and, you know, off you go so yeah always loved it loved being that in the garden my 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 brothers and my dad were all devout arsenal supporters <laughs> so they would all be in watching football and I, I can't sit still for that length of time so I just went out in the garden and never came back really I so. can't tell you the amount of hope for my little boy I feel when I hear you two talk about collecting cacti when you were small <laughs> well, yeah. it's absolutely right. You see, it is. It's, it's the kind of thing that you did. I mean, me, I went on from cacti to pelagoniums, and I mean, I'm talking about zonal pelagoniums, and it was because you were interested in things. And there, I, there was a man we used to go to the coast quite a lot because we had one of those, which is lass, lass is no longer there. In those days, we had a, a chalet on one of the uh, cliffs at Hemsby, and I think that cliff has swept away long ago. Yeah. And now there's hardly anything left, but but. Um, and on the way there, we used to stop at this bungalow. I remember it. And the man used to say geraniums for sale outside, not pelagoniums, but geraniums in those days. And used to trot up to the front door, knock on the door, and he said, "Go around the side, and you go into the greenhouse, and you pick whichever pelagoniums you wanted." And I, I remember they were one and sixpence each, and I used to, I used to have one and sixpence in three little packets in the back of the car because I think, well, I've, I've got one. I could have two. I could have three. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just collecting different colours. And in those days, of course, they weren't the, dare I say it, sort of horrible little dwarf things that you see today. I mean, the, the leaf nodes were much further apart, so they uh -huh. had character. And you could grow them into tree-like things, and it was just lovely. So you move on from one to another. And I mean, I know that Richard's uh, got many, many, <laughs> <laughs> shall we say, collections. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it was something that I think you were very good at. at well, you did a bit of breeding, didn't you? Yeah, the Roscoe. I mean, Roscoes are my absolute love. I think. Possibly, tell us what Roscoe is. Tell us what Roscoes are, because I mean, lots of right. people might not, be, might not know. So, so, so Roscoes are a member of the ginger family, um, but they're more of an alpine. So, they're not massively tall. Um, you're sort of talking about sort of eighteen inches tops, really. Um, so they're not they're not huge, but they have very, very large flowers, the biggest flowers in the, the, the genus of the Zingaberaceae. Um, and you get some brilliant colours. I mean, Roscoa purpurea, as the name suggests, is, is the, the purple flower. And that's the one that I've done most work with. It's a brilliant garden worthy plant. And for me, 
Oh, I, I, the, the best plants that I've ever produced from seed have come out of the Ross Coas. I mean, it was just just wonderful. Um, well, I, remember, I remember a couple of years ago because somebody told me on, you know, the garden grapevine. <laughs> <laughs> somebody told me that um, Richard had some wonderful um, plants of various shades of purples and mauve Roscoe at a plant fair. And I rang you up or so, I got in contact with you somewhere and said, can I have some? And your missus said, no, we've sold out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the trouble. Um, well, hopefully we've got some going into bigger productions. Um, so in the future. Um, yeah. But yeah, I keep on. They're not the quickest to bulk up. No. But they do stand, I, I, there's one in particular that caused a bit of a sensation when it was launched a few years ago now, called Red Gurkha. Absolutely. And it has brilliant red flowers. It's quite a short one. It's only about, I don't know, 8 to 12 inches tall, probably. Yeah, My absolutely. Well, Red Gurkha is, is the, the, the origins of what I've been tinkering around with. Red Gurkha's not been around for very long. But, mm. I mean, it's it's fantastic because, I mean, you know, this is Roscoe Papura, essentially what were plants that were purple all of a sudden, in the wild, this brick red, um, yeah. you know, variant is found. That's really, really interesting. And people had made crosses. Um, and when you look at the initial cross between the two, you start to get a purple flower with red running through it, which from a plant breeding point of view is really, really interesting. Because if I were to cross a, a red flower and a purple flower, I would expect the progeny to be either red or purple not to have this mixture. Um, so you get this slight little bit of red in the throat. If you start to play around with this, you get all and sundry coming out. And that's what happened. Um, I made some initial crosses and I, I tinkered around, sowed the seeds, took about three years before they flowered. But I had a summer of every day, I was getting a new and different color. And it wasn't just purples and reds. We're starting to get into pinks. We're starting to get into bicolors. We're starting to get into sort of dusky colors loads and loads of material absolutely wonderful i mean some of the stuff is it's just beautiful it really is it's these are excellent plants but it then took another three years for them to offset to start to clump up that we you know we had material um so i was looking at this and you you, you start to look on google images and you search and you think right you know have i, have I got something unique here Nobody else has got material like this, or you know, certainly not that they put on the internet. I mean, you know, they, if they had, they would be shouting from the rooftops, really. So I thought, wow, this is really, really good stuff. So um, we showed it to a, a plant promoter. Um, so there's very within the sort of the trade, there are people that deal with the big wholesalers across the world, um, and you know, hopefully they will produce it in huge numbers. Um, with Roscoe's, because they're so slow, we need to get put through tissue culture um, in order to to build up the sufficient numbers. That's quite an expensive we, process, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, one company said you know, it will cost us a thousand pounds per plant yeah. uh, to put it through tissue culture. Can we have ten? Can you send us your best ten, and we put them all through tissue culture? So we're like, wow, this is incredible. This is really, really brilliant. Um, sent them the plants, they all got shipped over to um, Holland in their box. They moved offices, left them all in the boxes, oh. and the whole lot died. <clears throat> so that put me back about three years. So we had to wait, and then we bulked them up again. They've gone out again, they've gone to other, other producers. So hopefully these will start to get produced in quantity. Uh, but it's the only way of ensuring that they 
they continue. Because for me, I mean, I'm trying to bulk things up, but it's going to take me a very long time to to produce sufficient quantities yeah. uh, in order to have enough to, to sell. Um, but hopefully they will do it and, you know, these will be, you know, produced in number and, and get to the market, which to me is a wonderful thing. Um, to get something to the market, get, get something that is, is, is so good that it will get to the market, people, other people believe in it, is absolutely brilliant. There's absolutely that, you know, we're talking in terms of thousands and thousands of plants, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, that's it. So... Yeah. which would be wonderful. And I'd love to see the productions. Uh, sadly, I think they'll all be in Holland, but I'd love to see a production of one, you know, one, a plant that I've raised up from seed yeah. and then to be produced in, in, in vast quantities. Wow. You know, uh, wonderful. Yeah. That is amazing. So, I mean, it, it does give insight into the behind the scenes on so many of the plants that we buy. The thing about plant breeding is it's not only the the time that it takes but you've got to and, and you see this when you uh, you know I've been lucky enough to go behind the scenes at somewhere like Monk Silver and you see all of the labeled up pots of snowdrops and things that are bulking up and getting to flowering size there's the time there's the organization there's the space there's so much involved with plant breeding that we kind of take for granted when we go and buy the end result absolutely but I mean working just working in the packet seed industry the amount of, I mean, someone's life's work has gone into perfecting that variety. You know, there's so much has gone on behind the scenes to, to produce that. And there's some incredibly clever people um, doing it. I, I spent a lot of time in California um, working with two very, very old plant breeders who were getting to the ends of their careers. Um, and they had bred most of the marigolds um, that are available now. And they'd spent their life doing it. And it was technical breeding it was you know phenomenal bits of breeding they were um a, a lot of the marigolds were bred for garlands so that was the big market for them so it wasn't necessarily you know pot plants and bedding plants it was the you know garden garlands and, and lays the the difficulty with marigolds was that they they're fully double they've got so many petals it's very difficult to pollinate them um and they developed systems where they had apetalous males and apetalous females it was like shaving brushes and they could cross them together, and then the seed that would come up would be the the double petals would be restored in it. And it's like, how have you come up with this? This is incredible. So you've got this whole production system of how to do it to produce them in the, the, these quantities. Phenomenal bit of breeding, but it took them their lives to do it. These are just annual plants. Imagine people that are breeding, you know, tree introducing new varieties of trees and shrubs and things. It's it's a phenomenal undertaking. Um, to, to, to come up with something on a new. Note, on a lighter <laughs> note, I mean, the ordinary yeah. gardener can actually have a bit of fun. I mean, oh, I yeah. have a bit of fun every year by just saving some dahlia seed. And I have to say that I rogue out the ones that are sort of kind of too samey or not interesting and all the rest of it. All my all my um, progeny are singles, um, which is to be expected anyway. But, I mean, we get some fantastic colours. And I put them, I pop them and put them on a peninsula. So people visiting the garden, they come past them, you see. And the, the amount of people that rummage after a label and they find number four. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's it. I they same... haven't got a name yet, you know. No, no, no. But, I mean, how wonderful is that? I mean, yeah, save exactly. seeds mm. um, and, and see what you get. You'll get something new. You'll get something lovely. And you'll get something unique. I mean, how yeah, wonderful. I think it, I think it's, I mean I I know this is this kind of sounds um a bit sort of elementary if you like but I mean every seedling is technically different from its parents totally genetically different so so you you know there is the off chance that you might get something I mean if you cross a red one with a, a mauve one you might get something muddy 
or you might get something which is mauve striped red like you were talking about. Absolutely. You might get something that is a phenomenal winner and will make you a fortune. Yeah. Um, or not. Of course, the, the handy thing if you do it with something like dahlias is if you're lucky, it might be one that bulks up really well. And then at the very least, you can quickly create more plants, unlike with something like a Roscoia, and maybe give it to your friends, get it out there, it. You know, just spread well, the love. How lovely to have a, a completely bespoke garden with all your own plants. What a wonderful <laughs> thing that would be. You know, I grew everything here. I raised from seed. Everything here is unique to my garden. Well, oh, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd also um, be very mean, Richard, because gardeners like to share things. <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously, to share. You, yeah. you've done uh, a, a lot of breeding, obviously, with, with um, Roscoeus, and I'm sure lots of other things. Is there something that you wish you had the time space, energy, whatever, to have a bit of a go experimenting with or something that is sort of down the the line that you dream of doing some breeding work with? Um, what am I playing with at the minute? Well, my this year's uh, little obsession has been the butylons, uh... um, which have been fantastic. There's some really, really lovely material in the butylons. I think a butylons are lovely, lovely flowers anyway because you've got that lovely sort of exotic... Um, you know, they look like some of them look almost like hibiscus. I mean, they're quite quite wonderful, um, and they've got a degree of hardiness as well. Now, that's interesting, and I think, isn't it? Because yeah. some of the, I mean, lots of the large flowered hybrids tend to be fairly tender. Now we grow a, a large flowered hybrid called Ashford Red, mm -hmm. and Ashford Red's been on the south front of our house for the last I don't know eleven, twelve years, and it's outside, no protection, perfectly hardy. But most of the ones that are regarded as having a greater degree of hardiness, have slightly smaller flowers. But with yes. that, quite often, they have smaller leaves, which takes away some of the coarseness, which makes them a more valuable, perhaps, garden plant. I'm thinking of um, varieties like Pink Charm, for instance. I yes. don't know whether yeah. you know that one. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I grow yeah. Pink Charm. Yeah. I've got, I've got better seedlings than Pink Charm. So... Well, then, my dear boy, it's time you launched them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well... I mean, the point is, if you start if you start saving seed and then you start selecting and you, I mean, you can you can select for hardiness. So, yeah. you know, you take those hardy parents and you you take seed off of those. Hopefully some of their progeny, you've got some of that hardiness. Hopefully some of that progeny has got bigger flowers, smaller leaves, whatever you're looking for, different yeah. colours. Um, you know, it's, it's a good thing. I think there's there's a lot of scope in a butylons. Yeah, I agree with you, actually, because, I mean, we're, we're doing a trial in conjunction with the RHS here with, of Hedickiums, which is right. going to be a three-year trial. And the aim is to sort of try and kind of push the boundaries and see which ones are going to be hardy and which, I mean, we know a lot of them won't be hardy, but, you know, we're going to try and see just how hardy they are, because I firmly believe that lots of Hedickiums are more, much hardier, perhaps, than people think. Absolutely. Well, I think the, the, the Hedekium's downfall is they look tender. Yes. Yeah. How how can something so exotic and so luxuriant, how can that possibly be hardy? <laughs> and and that, that, that's the problem. That, that's the worst hardiness test ever. Um, but no, no, Hedekium's, I think there's there's lots of scope in Hedekium's. The second so, worst test of those is the fact that somebody comes along to your garden after a winter, which we just had last year, when we had sort of slightly lower temperatures than perhaps we normally do, here we got down to minus four, and the top rhizomes, which I hadn't protected of the ditchiums, was in actual fact put the slushy, so they'd rotted in the frost. And yes. everyone was saying, oh, you've lost your ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, they, they have layers of, of rhizomes, 
and the topmost rhizomes were killed, but the bottom rhizomes came back. Not as vigorous as they would have done from the top lot, but they came back and they flowered. So, I mean, you know, that's one thing to bear in mind. The other thing with hedicums and with lots of other plants of suspect hardiness, if you like, is the value of a winter mulch, which I didn't. Yes. But I mean, you one should do that. You know, you should actually do that as a as a pr protection, if you like, um, just in case. Absolutely. I mean, it's only the very top layer of the ground that's going to freeze. Yeah. So you haven't even got to do a particularly deep mulch and it makes a huge difference yeah. um, and to your plants. But I mean, last winter was a hideous winter. I mean, we went through a very, very wet autumn. Everything was soaking wet and sodden. That didn't help. Prior to that, we'd had a baking hot summer that had, you know, done a lot of damage. And the, and the wet bit that you just mentioned encouraged everything to grow new shoots. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? <laughs> then, then we got these lovely cold spells, so, which just blasted. But I mean, and it was sort of over the winter, there was very, very cold spells and then very mild points. Yeah. It was horrible. I mean, things like, you know, potted geraniums were dying last winter, which is like, well, this is sort of a garden store. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be dying at all. And um, no. I had no spring bulbs. All my potted bulbs went to mush because they froze solid. Yeah. It was a horrible winter. I don't think that you can can judge things on last winter. But I mean, it goes back to the whole point of hardiness. There's a, there's a lot more issues to hardiness. It's not just the cold. Winter no. wet is probably the the biggest killer. That, you know, does the most damage. But with these sorts of things, I mean, incorporate grit when you're planting. Uh, make sure they've got sharp drainage. That's going to help. If you've got sharp drainage and a decent mulch, um, you know, that, that's got to help. I would say. Yeah, you know, when we first when we first came to East Russian hundreds of years ago, <laughs> we were having a little drive. We were having a little drive around the countryside here, and underneath it was a south facing bank outside a, a little cottage. There was a hedge, and on underneath this hedge there was a plant which was called in those days Tamorphotheca. Um And I knew this was a South African um, daisy flower, and I said to Graham, "That shouldn't be here. That should be dead. I mean, that's not a hardy plant." Anyway, I stopped and we were looking at it and this uh, old lady or gentleman, I can't remember what it was now, came to the gate and I said, your daisies you've got here. Oh, would you like some? They said, <laughs> you pull a handful up because if you look along the stems, you can see there's lots of little roots. They'll all grow for you. And they did. And they are now known as osteospermums. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I'm just saying, reiterating really what you said, Richard, right plant in the right place. You know, yeah. A dry bank on the south-facing slope underneath a hedge. That's all the protection it needed. And it was quite happy. We've had yeah. it. Business. I mean, that's 40-odd years. That's it. But and, that's, and I mean, osteospermums, again, there's, there's a lot of mileage in those. So there's a lot of interesting material there. Again, um, there's, lots, there's, lots of, there's lots of messing about with them, though. Don't you find that, you know, they they they... they, they, they the breeders raise all these wonderful colours and shapes, anemone-centred and some with yellow with a, a purple ring around the middle and mm. all the rest of it. But um, they're not hardy. They, they no. lack hardiness. And the other thing I think that happens to them is that I have the feeling, I don't have proof, I, you, you may, I don't know, but I feel that they have a dwarfing agent applied to them. Because Quite they possibly. Don't, they don't seem to grow with any openness. They, they, they maintain a sort of a fat little dumpling. And I, I feel yeah. it should its wings to spread out a bit. <laughs> I mean, the, the dwarfing agents are quite widespread, certainly with sort of the uh, bedding industry. Yeah. Um, I mean, some things are, you know, are selected to be genetically dwarf. Yeah. Um, as well. But the thing is, they're not selecting for hardiness 
on these plants. No, exactly. They are selecting for plants that fit onto a Dutch trolley, fit into a lorry, look good at point of sale. Yeah. Unfortunately, and, and preferably one that they can sell early that dies in the first frost and then you come back and buy another one. Absolutely. There you go. That's good business. <laughs> it's interesting selecting for hardiness. If there was one singular good thing about last winter for me, I lost loads in my garden, particularly because I have lots of things in pots. So they just all died. Um, uh, and it was really quite cold in Cambridge. I shoved a load of things I just couldn't bring inside under several layers of fleece into what I call a potting shed. It's an old dog kennel down the side of the house, which is the mildest part of the garden. And everything died, really, apart from uh, a couple of little things that I thought might pull through. All the aeoniums died, apart from one, which I think might have been velour. If it isn't, I'll put the correct one into the plant list for this episode um, in the show notes. But I was amazed, you know, everything turned to mush, everything was destroyed. And this one aeonium this summer didn't really look like anything bad had happened to it. And it wasn't out in the cold, it was given a bit of protection, but a level of protection which didn't, you know, do anything for any of the other aeoniums. So um, I've now at least learned if I'm going to grow aeoniums, considering I have nowhere to keep them, that is the one for me to grow. <laughs> and see if others exhibit the same level of hardiness. Well, you know, aeoniums are another one that I quite like. <laughs> Uh, oh, yes, you do love your succulents, don't you? I do like I do like a succulent as well. Um, uh, Aeonium um, simsii, um, and it's crosses. Aeonium simsii is a, is a green aeonium, but it's got a degree of hardiness to it, um, and it will cross quite readily into a lot of other darker-leaved aeoniums. And they're really, really good crosses, and they're much tougher. All of mine survived quite happily outside last winter. I mean, that's another one to push because Aeoniums had a really rubbish winter um, in the main. But these Simsei crosses did really, really well. I think they're, you know, they're really, you know, much, much better for our climate. Um, we're very excited. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're <laughs> worth doing. And there's variegated ones of all sorts. There's loads of good stuff in those. Um, and they tend to grow when it's colder. Another um, little thing about Aeoniums is that if you grow more than one variety, um, and you let the flower stems stay on them and, and, and the seed ripen, you can save the seed. And you Absolutely. can even, if you're in the right, <laughs> sort of, again, underneath a hedge facing south, seedlings pop up in the in the spring. And you suddenly see this and you think, my God, it's a baby aeonium. It's like a little frog, you know, when, it, when, it, when a tadpole becomes <laughs> a frog. They're tiny little things, aren't they? You know, and, and it's a bit like that. And you're, you're so excited when you find it. Um, I put a pot full into the desert this year. And I mean, the, the little seedlings now gone from um, being a minuscule little thing. Can you see my fingers like that? Yeah. About, about that big. I mean, it is a big saucer and it's got a little bit of colour to it. It's green with a slight bronzing, bronzing on the tips of the leaves. Who knows? Absolutely. Well, it, it could be a good one. It's mm -mm. And it's new, isn't it? It's, it's yours. Well, we could be doing this podcast in the spring and you say, Alan, how's that aeonium? Oh, he's dead. <laughs> 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 well unfortunately with all the i mean there's so many plants that are so wonderful and you think oh you know i've struck gold this is something brilliant and they die the failure rate in this is colossal <laughs> um because unfortunately plants are very very good at tormenting you you'll find the most lovely variegated thing and you think oh that is wonderful and within a few months it's lost all that variegation it's all just disappeared and gone back to normal again so or, or, or some do, wonderful get, flower form. You do get this on certain variegated plants. I've got a variegated sparmania, and mm. variegated sparmania will throw a, a green branch and then a completely white branch. 
Well, that oh, white okay. branch is not, it's no chlorophyll in it. So it's getting the chlorophyll from the green branch, if you see what I mean. Wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the kind of, there's an instability there. It's not, a, it's not an, a uniform variegation, if you see what I mean. And if I take a cutting of that green branch, it will stay green and be forever more green. More green. Yeah. Well, you just, you get this chimera effect and it, it absolutely, it, yes. It appears and then disappears just as quickly. Um, yeah. But I do like the Sparmania, I love, I've got one growing in the, polytunnel here um and it, the leaves are so lovely and felty yeah and you can screw the leaves up on it and they, they don't they'd be completely undamaged yes it's that's right bizarre plant. I, yeah it's, it's one of my little hobbies is screwing up spamania leaves well just because i can but there that's you go yeah. fascinating to me because um i have a person in my life who loves nothing more currently than to screw leaves up in his little hand uh so yes. i need a plant that can be screwed up in tiny little baby hands he did it to this we were preparing for a podcast and he uh he got hold of one of these big leaves and it's got a big chunk out of it now yeah. thanks to my little my little darling baby uh so yeah. and there's a katinus by my back gate that he's always getting hold of leaves they don't come back so sparmania that's on the wish list that's it's quite quite tough yeah i've got one of those they they look so pleased when they come to you with like a handful of flowers and you're like so <laughs> no, but hey ho not to worry but at least they're interested so that's good exactly <laughs> Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening. And we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.